Blog Talk Radio. Saigon, this is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program, live on Blog Talk Radio and later simulcast across the country on FIFA 360 and the podcast on iTunes. It's our very special World Cup edition show. I'm your host, Mike Gardner, and join with me, the creator of MP Soccer Talk blog and podcast, Nick Pavitus, joins us. What's up, Nick? How are you today, Michael? I'm good. It is a beautiful day because today begins the month-long excitement of the FIFA World Cup here in Brazil. To get things rolling, we're going to do a little bit of throwback for you, Nick. What was your first World Cup memory? Um, Probably 2010, honestly. I was never too big into the World Cup until 2010, and I started watching it a lot, and seeing the U.S. and England play was a big one for me. Is that your first match that you saw? It was not the first match I saw. It's the first match I remember specifically. Ah, because for me, my first World Cup memory was, I think, the 98 final, because I thought it was really cool that France won in Paris, thinking that would probably never happen again. And then another memory I had was in 2002, waking up at, like, 3 in the morning to watch the U.S. beat Portugal because it was in Korea, Japan, so everything was like nine hours behind. Luckily for uh, for us fans and uh, and millions watching across the world, the for Americans at least, it's only an hour behind East Coast time, so reasonably feasible. Uh, before we get basically for this episode, we'll lead you right up to kickoff for the first opening match between Brazil and Croatia. And we will break down all eight groups, all 32 teams. And at the very end, Nick and I will pick our winners because we're not like the uh, the naive American fan that filled their brackets on ESPN because that is the stupid way to approach it. And that's actually the first thing I want to talk about before we get to the groups is, did you watch ESPN's two-hour preview show last night? I actually didn't get a chance to, no. Well, good. Be thankful that you didn't. It's I don't understand what... ESPN tries to do with their World Cup coverage. It's clearly obvious they've never done anything with like a big, the biggest week-long events they've ever covered are probably golf and tennis tournaments, because their set can only be described as they have like the traditional, you know, desk overlooking overlooking the Atlantic Ocean because they're based in Rio, and then they have this little side studio, and it look it literally looks like the patio on the border. Yeah, and I'll, but I did see that Donovan is going to be covering the World Cup. Yeah, he was on. He was on last night, which I think. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of the Alexi Lawless thing that he just has kind of given up, and he's covering for ESPN now. 
I think it's awkward. It's, it's almost like adding insult to injury. I tweeted about that two days ago, and ESPN officially announced it because, you know, the poor guy, I think it's just sort of the last thing he wants to worry about. And then the first five minutes he was on the air, Mike Tirico, who, first of all, I don't know why he's there, because he does Monday Night Football and the NBA Finals, which I think the NBA Finals are still going on, so I don't know why he's not there in Miami. But the first five minutes, he grills him about, what was it about not making the World Cup team? And it's like, oh, let's just keep twisting the poor guy's wounds and pouring lemon on every cut he has. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of the things that overall I think they made the right – that Klinsman made the right call not putting him in, but at the same time that just makes it even more awkward for him. Yeah, exactly. Of course, the awkwardness will continue for ESPN as they have – uh, former World Cup women's soccer captain Julie Saudi sort of roving around the streets of Rio looking for her stories, something she's never done. And then you have the cast of characters of uh, very famous former players. You have, um, I think it's Emerson, who is a defender on the O2 World Cup championship team for Brazil. Poor guy doesn't know any English. You have Michael Ballack and Ruben Istroy joining the coverage, who can barely speak English. And then you have Alexi Laws, who actually got almost got in a shouting match with uh, Roberto Martinez on Clemson's comments for the World Cup. But we'll get to that when we talk about Group G. Now, we'll segue perfectly uh, to break down all 32 teams and all eight groups. Basically, we'll start from the bottom up as we will begin with Group E. This is... One of sort of many are saying some of the weakest groups in the tournament. We have Group E with Honduras, France, Ecuador, and Switzerland. A lot of the analysts, Nick, are sort of overlooking Switzerland. They're six in the FIFA rankings. Do you feel like they are overrated going into this tournament? I really don't think they're that overrated. They really do have some very good players that just don't get that much respect. I mean, Steven Licksteiner is probably one of the best right-backs in the world, in my opinion. He also is able to play right-mid. And they've got several other players. I mean, Gokun Inler and Sheridan Chakri are also fantastic midfielders. Yeah, see, I, they, were my, they were one of my teams I picked to, to advance out of this group because I think this team is so overlooked. Because everyone has France. Did you, did you have France advancing out of this group? I actually have Switzerland finishing first in the group and France finishing second, just for the fact that both I, Honduras, just I don't see them making it through. And Ecuador, Ecuador looked like they had some discipline problems against England, even though, that they, even though they are a good team. I mean, they do have several good players, but when I saw them play England, just the little thing between Antonio Valencia and Raheem Sterling was ridiculous, and that that's just a discipline problem right there. And that's your captain, too. To have your captain doing something just that stupid, I, I, I really just don't see them having the discipline to make it through. So is this the year France sort of turns it around? They had the laughable coup in 2010. I don't think they did. Did they make the knockout stage in Euro 2012? I believe they made it to the knockout stage, but I don't think they made it very far. So this is the year they finally turned things around, even though without Frank Ribéry and uh, Samir Nasri? Um, I see them making it to the knockout stage and then just getting demolished in the first in the round of 16, just for the fact that, I mean, they do have several good players. Giroud, Benzema, one that is a sleeper on the France team for me is uh, Antoine Griezmann. 
a lot of people, and and like Remy, meet, a lot of people overlook both those forwards, but I think both of them can get the job done. Uh, but overall, I mean, through the group stage, I think they'll be fine. I don't see them making it very far past the group stage. Very far in the I think it's stage. Yeah, I feel like it's the opposite. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big on this France parade because they have very good forwards, but everything else is such a mystery in terms of their midfield and their defense. I don't know. I haven't seen France. Of course, knowing them, they'll be French. They'll probably just give up halfway through. I'm interested to see how France does against the Ecuadors and Hondurases. And this is a common theme that I will continue throughout this this uh, this episode of Fanatic Radio of how the European teams respond to the Latin American teams, because as history shows, the South Americans hate the Europeans with a burning passion from centuries of uh, of oppressment, and now they finally get to uh, take it all out on the other fellow countrymen. Am I right in saying that, or am I just completely out of my mind? I mean, I agree with that, especially with it being played in Brazil. Not only do I think there's going to be a lot of hostility towards the European teams, but I also think that it's going to be a hard climate for these European teams who are used to playing in a more temperate European climate rather than a tropical Amazonian climate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, once again, we're talking about Group E, Switzerland, Ecuador, France, and Honduras. Honduras, a team, uh, team that sort of barely scraped in past CONCACAF qualifying. The CONCACAF is pretty much on a down year with the exception of two teams. As we will uh, move now to Group H, an interesting group where a lot of players, a lot of anal- analysts and pundits have this, Bel- this very young Belgian squad is a dark horse to even go as far as winning the tournament. They're in a group with Algeria, Russia, and South Korea. Belgium as good as people say they are? I think so. I mean, if I had to pick defenders for a team, I would not pick any other team rather than the Belgian defense. I mean, you've got Vincent Kompany, Thomas Vermaelen, Jan Vertonghen. They're just so deep in the defense, but that's not their only strength. They also have great midfielders and great forwards uh, in Hazard and uh, Kevin Morales. They've just got a great, a great overall team. The one thing I think is going to plague them a little bit is that Christian Benteke is out, which puts their sole striker, really, is Romulo Lukaku, who has shown the, that he can also get the job done. Yeah, I watched them play last summer when they with the United States uh, in a friendly, and they're so organized. A lot of people are saying that youth really does well in the World Cup, which is ironic considering ESPN sort of bashed a lot of the teams with youth because they had no inexperience. Uh, raises a good point, though, that as you'll see this with a lot of young clubs, sort of their first go-around playing in a big tournament on a big stage because they didn't make the Euros. And so their first game is against Algeria on Tuesday, so is Russia and Korea Republic. Interesting thing I heard last night, Nick, for the Russian team, is I think I believe every single player on that, well, the majority of the Russian players on this World Cup squad are domestic. There's no players that, there are very few players that play outside of Russia. Actually, all 23 of them are in the Russian league. Is that insane? That is probably the most absurd thing in my opinion. I mean, yeah, Fabio it's, Capello, it's interesting. I mean, I, that just makes me question Fabio Capello's decisions to pick these guys. I mean, 
you pick 23 guys from Russia and you don't pick a single person that has gone outside of Russia. I mean, but then again, they do have some real talent that plays in Russia. I mean, Igor Akinfeyev is a fantastic keeper. But, I mean, at the same time, I think you need to look around, kind of do what Klinsman's done with the U.S., and get players from all your talent pools possible. Does that uh, lessen their chances because they're so not familiar with going abroad? But they, could they potentially drop games against Algeria or South Korea? Um, I could see them possibly dropping to South Korea. I do not see anyone in that group dropping a game to Algeria. Um, Algeria is probably one of the weakest teams in the tournament, in my opinion. But at the same time, I mean, a lot of these guys have multiple caps. Some of them are very inexperienced. There's several guys on the team. I believe there's about seven or eight that are in single digits for caps. So that will affect them playing abroad because... Like, the guys like Akinfeyev have played a lot abroad in international play, but some of these guys with one, two, and three caps, I just don't know if they can get the job done against a team like Belgium or Korea. You have nine players on that World Cup squad that have single-digit caps. Uh, their most is uh, Sergei Nganajevic, who has 98. So not even guys with 100 caps, which is hilarious. Considering Fabio Capello uh, tried to coach England, and they barely got out of their group. So who are, you, who are the two that you have advancing? Um, this one, um, I've got Belgium going through easily. I'm constantly back and forth between Korea and Russia because Korea does have a couple good players, a couple good Premier League players. Uh, Ki Sung Yoon from Sunderland, who really stepped up to keep Sunderland in the Premier League. So I'm kind of back and forth, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to Russia. I'll go with Belgium and South Korea. South Korea, usually those Asian teams really are very efficient. Uh, you still see that when we talk about Japan and Group C. Guys, they're teams that are very technically sound and are efficient in breaking down teams, which is where you could get sort of a frustrated Russia or an Algeria team. Korea's first match is against Russia, and that's on June 17th before um, – later taking on Algeria. So they could easily rattle off two wins if uh, by any stretch of the imagination. We'll now go to Nick Pavitas' favorite group, Group C, with the Colombians, who are in the top ten in the world for the first time since the Carlos Valderrama years, Ivory Coast, Japan, and Nick, your Greeks. This group really, really like this, I think this is probably one of the most underrated groups. Like so many people have just not given this group any respect, and I just don't agree with that at all. Why is that? Um, as you mentioned, you've got the Columbia team that's very good. Even without Falcao, they're very good. You've got a Greek team whose defense is fantastic. They don't score a ton of goals. They did qualify in a playoff after. Uh, tied with Bosnia-Herzegovina on uh, points, but we're behind on goal differential. You've got uh, Ivory Coast, who is another team. Uh, Everyone keeps talking about Drogba being their top striker. I see Wilfred Boney 
that's really stepping up, the Swansea striker. But then you can't forget about Yaya Torre. And then Japan, as you mentioned earlier, is just a very sound team. So overall, I think all four of these teams are very evenly matched, and I think that's one of the reasons they're not. this group isn't getting the respect that they deserve. It's underrated. Yeah, you have a lot of good stars. Um, Jervinho, another guy for Ivory Coast. Uh, my boy Honda for Japan. It's a very, it's a very interesting group. Uh, can you only imagine how good Colombia would be if Falcon was actually in that group or uh, playing with that team. And, and funny enough, for Greece, uh, in their pre-World Cup friendlies, their only loss in four matches was to South Korea uh, with a 2-0 two, two to zero defeat. Other than that, they tied Portugal which is, and Nigeria, two teams that the United States will and uh, have played, and they beat Bolivia. Do you have the Greeks advancing? I do have the, I have both Greece and Colombia advancing. Even though Ivory Coast is a very good team, I think the Greek defense is going to do pretty much what they did in qualification and in their friendlies and just dig in uh, kind of the Jose Mourinho park the bus strategy and then just put the ball in the hands of striker Konstantinos Mitroglou and hope for the best. Be interesting first game, uh, Saturday, June 14th. Uh, Greece takes on Colombia. So uh, a, a way to see how uh, your boys in the blue and white are battle-tested against one of the world's finest clubs. Uh, Ivory Coast plays Japan later that day. Uh, did your job with legacy, does it rest on this World Cup, considering that in all the World Cups he's competed with, Ivory Coast has failed to make it out of the group stage? Um, I don't really think you can put it all on drug, but like I said, they do have a very deep team. And that goes both ways. You can't put good on him and you can't put bad on him. If they perform well, you can't say it's because of him. If they perform badly, you can't say it's because of him. Because the depth of the team with Gervinho, Wilfred Boney, Sol Nicolou, Yaya Torre, et cetera, um, I don't think it's really going to affect Drogba's legacy overall. I don't see Drogba continuing his international career much after this. So if they do perform well, I think it'll boost him, but at the same time, I don't think if they underperform, it'll like bring him down any. Yeah, so we're very blessed to be watching this World Cup. Two of the greatest African players in the history of African football, uh, Didier Drogba and Samuel Eto'o, who's featured in another group. They'll be joining up with... Uh, they're, they're, they're among great company for the best in that continent of all time. Others, including my boy Raja Miller, who is, I think, to this day, the oldest player to ever score in a World Cup. And uh, he played with Cameroon. And then there's... Um, Names, names escape me. George something, he plays with Libya. But uh, regardless, so you have George Way, a uh, Libyan guy. He made like a hundred and so many casts, played at AC Milan, Paris Saint-Germain, doing all over the place. He's the only African player to win the Ballon d'Or. So, uh, so cool to see two great African players sort of go off into the distance. So, Nick, you have Colombia and Greece advancing. I do. And I have Colombia winning the group and Greece in a close second. Yeah, many, many, especially in World Cup defense, usually does prevail. If Ivory Coast can't score, they won't get out of the group because we saw last time, last go around in the World Cup, they hung with teams. Of course, they were in a very tough group. Hung with teams that couldn't finish. Interesting match will be that Greece-Japan match, which is um, later next week on June 19th, on th- next Thursday. 
because basically whoever wins that will be the second team advancing out of that group. We'll now roll to uh, Group F before we uh, head off to com- uh, commercial break. Group F featuring the favorite son of the uh, of the South, of South America and Argentina, Lionel Messi, leading his Argentinian team. Never Diego Maradona has coached this go-around. But a lot of people are putting a lot of pressure on Messi, who is continuing to shine even before he is in his 30s. Many are saying this could be his best chance to win the FIFA World Cup and join the likes of Pele and Maradona as the greatest players of all time. Does Messi have to win a World Cup to uh, sort of put himself up on that Mount Rushmore of greatest soccer players? I do not agree with that at all. I think he will go down in history as one of the best players, whether he ever wins a World Cup or not. Just for the fact, look at all the records the man's broken in the uh, Champions League, which is probably one of the most competitive leagues in the world, as well as with uh, Barcelona in the in La Liga. So, I mean, it's one of the things, it would just be another thing in his trophy case, but I don't think it really will affect him that much. He has a fairly easy group ahead, or does he have a fairly easy group ahead? Many are sort of overlooking this thing, it, almost like a group H, saying Argentina is going to just completely walk through. They face a Bosnia team that I believe was three goals up on the U.S. in a friendly last year. They're a very nitty-gritty team. They have Iran, who was best team, I think the best team in Asia when they qualified, and and then Nigeria, who... You know, the African team's very rough, very physical. Will this be almost too easy for Argentina, or are there still many um, speed bumps along the way? Um, I think Argentina should make it through very, or fairly easily. I think this is going to be another group that has a very tough battle for second place, but I don't think Argentina's going to have too much trouble. Who's that number two team, then? Got a lot of uh, potentials. Um. I'm give I give it to Bosnia and Herzegovina, but because they do have very good players that are underrated, uh, Lulic from the, who plays this club soccer for Lazio, uh, and then Edin Dzeko, who is in my opinion one of the most underrated strikers possibly in the world. Um, I mean, he doesn't get as many minutes from Man City as he should, and they also have a great keeper in Asmir Begovic, for uh, who plays for Stoke. Um, however, I also think Nigeria is a very tough team. I mean, we saw it against Greece, against uh, the United States. I mean, they've got Mikel, who is a very good midfielder, just very dominant midfielder. And then a lot of people, I mean, Emmanuel Amanike is a very good striker. He only has 23 caps, but he is going to, I think he will perform very well. And Victor Moses is just a very quick winger. I think Nigeria is just a very quick team, and I think if teams underestimate them, they could really pay the price. Yeah, it's not it's not Argentina's first match that people should worry about. That's Argentina versus Bosnia. Uh, it's the last game on Sunday, June 15th, and then Iran faces Nigeria on Monday. It's that game later. The game later next week when Argentina faces Iran. Nigeria-Bosnia game could be a big uh, trap game. That's Saturday, June 21st, because it's almost like what we talked about last group, whenever that could easily be the second-place team. Because both those teams are very rough, especially in the midfield. Nigeria doesn't have a very good defense. That could be the only thing that could come back to haunt them. Much like Ivory Coast, very good strikers, but 
sort of iffy when it comes to defense. I'm concerned with um, Argentina's defense. Everyone's talking about, oh, Messi, Messi, Messi. But is there any other players that could easily support him and uh, make his campaign a lot easier than last year and last times? I mean, I think they've got very good wingers in Di Maria and Lovetsi uh, to feed Messi good passes to set him up. And they do have Sergio Aguero, who's another one of the world's top strikers. But I can also see some defensive concerns. I mean, you do have uh, Martin Damichelis and Pablo Zabaleta as defenders, uh, who are pretty good defenders. But you do have to question, are teams like Nigeria, who have good strikers, going to just be able to get through? Because, I mean, like we said before, Nigeria is a very quick team. And I think uh, Martin D. Michaelis, for example, I think he could get caught on his heels and they could kind of blow by him. So, though, as far as strikers, I think Argentina has some of the best forwards in the entire tournament in Aguero, Messi, uh, Lovetti, et cetera. But their defense, I could see being a slight concern. So who are the two you have going out of this? Um, I have Argentina finishing first and Bosnia-Herzegovina finishing second. But as I said before, I think that's going to be a big battle between them and Nigeria. All right, so to recap the first four groups of the FIFA World Cup in Group E, Nick, you had Switzerland and France. Yes. I had Switzerland and Ecuador, Group H. Nick had... Russia, Belgium and Russia. I had Belgium and South Korea. And in Group C, Nick had Colombia and Greece. And I will pick as well Colombia and Greece with a wild card asterisk by the Japanese. And we both agree with Group F, Argentina and Bosnia will advance out of Group F. Stay with us here on Fanatic Radio as we will preview the four last groups. In my opinion, all four groups of death not like stupid ESPN, hanging it on the USA. Let's talk the USA's group, the defending champs group, and the host nations group. On the flip side of the break, you're listening to the special World Cup show for Fanatic Radio here on blogtalkradio.com. It's Fanatic Radio. Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio.
Fanatic Radio. It's as good as it gets. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio. And we got the funk. Oh, well, uh, glory be, the funk's on me, Bobby. Keep that funk alive. Keep that funk alive. Mm. Well, it's 1975. Back here on Fanatic Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Premier Sports Music Program, special World Cup edition episode. Mike Garner, along with Nick Paptis of MP Soccer Talk Blog and Podcast from the family of networks. We're breaking down all 32 teams, all eight groups, getting you set up for kickoff of the very first match featuring Host Nation Brazil and Croatia as we fall right back into our Extensive analysis of Group D. This is one of the most talented groups that I have seen on paper when you feature teams like Uruguay, who won Copa America, Costa Rica, who was one of the only CONCACAF clubs to give the United States a significant amount of trouble, the Three Lions in England, and everyone's flamboyant favorite, the Italian national team. Nick, this is such a ta- These next four groups we talk about are such toss-ups what makes Group D that much special? Um, I think Group D is actually the true group of death. Um, statistically, the average FIFA ranking of these four teams is the highest of any of the groups. Um, I think this group is probably the most up for grabs, too. You've got three teams that could all win the group, and then you've got one team that very well could spoil the day for any of those other three teams. That spoiler is Costa Rica, right? Definitely. See, they're not a bad team because when you think about it, and in, in, in the Hex qualifying, which was crucial for them in the United States, their only, their only big loss to us was the snow game up in Denver in which Costa Rica protested the CONCACAF and FIFA, and that was only a 1-0 win because God was on our side that day bringing down the elements. And then when we went down to San Juan, we completely got waxed and the doors blown off us. Costa Rica is not a bad squad. And when they go up against the European teams in England and Italy, those should all be complete fiascos. This this group alone will have more cards than probably the entire tournament combined. Because you look at the first the first two matches of that group, you have Uruguay and Costa Rica, which everyone loves a good Central America, South America fight. And then you have England and Italy, and that game is in Manaus, which some are saying the stadium is not going to be finished in time. With uh, Getty Images photos from yesterday, the field looks almost like Reeves Field. It is awful. It's got, like, brown patches in it. And this is supposed to be a World Cup field. Yeah, I think having the World Cup in Brazil is always a little bit dangerous. I mean, you look at the constant political struggles back and forth. I mean, I think the same thing's going to happen for the next Olympics as well, in 2016 games in Rio. I think it's going to be just a giant disaster, for lack of a better term. Just a cluster, and it's your own word. Yeah, you've got... England, uh, Italy, big. You've got the big concern also with the transportation in Brazil right now. The transportation workers are striking, and it's only out like less than an hour before kickoff of the first match. Yeah, USA had to cancel their closed-door friendly with Belgium, which was supposed to be scheduled today because of traffic issues. I'm interested to see how that England 
Italy game is going to go, depending on how awful that field is, it's going to be very much like, like we know, Nick, a Patriot League game at Reeves. There's going to be like dirt and sand flying up. And then you have a clash of just complete hotheads. You have Wayne Rooney, and then you have Mario Botelli playing in his first World Cup. Because, of course, of course your fans, you don't know who Mario Botelli is, just Google Mario Botelli GIF, and the rest is history. That that matchup, will be, I wouldn't be surprised if Botelli gets sent off, especially when he faces Uruguay, which is on June 24th, or even when he faces Costa Rica on June 20th. Who are even two teams you could see coming out of this group? As as I said before, I could really see either England, Italy, or Uruguay coming out. Any of the three could come out. It's a very big toss-up. Uh, I believe ESPN Magazine had all three teams at about thirty at about a thirty-three percent chance of making it through the group stage. So that just tells you that pretty much everyone's stumped by this group. But personally, I have England and Italy just because they're, I think they're the most well-rounded teams in the group. But the strikers of Uruguay are just beyond belief. I mean, Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani, as a duo, I don't think there's a top two that can compete with them in the group. So Luis Suarez was good in 2010, handball and all. Watching him the past four years, three years, he has slowly improved to be a world phenomenon. And playing essentially in... Uruguay's backyard. Very tough to play a South American team in South America. They're loud. They're dirty. Once again, as I said, they're dirty. They're physical. They're going to take it out on the Europeans. I think Italy gets uh, beat up in their first few games because they're facing European rivals England first, and then they face Costa Rica. So if they manage to even get a point out of those games, their last group, which could be a decisive group, goes up against Uruguay. I don't see Italy advancing. I had I had um, Uruguay and England making out of this group. Many are criticizing England because of this. They're so young, one of the most youthful squads in English history. But those youthful players, seeing them in, you know, and uh, Premier League play, they're very good. They're they're so. It's almost sort of like what the USA is going through. They have a lot of uh, veterans. You know, your boy Gerard, Frank Lampard. But then they also have Sturridge, Danny Welbeck, and company. Those guys are they're very talented and athletic, which and say quick. They have a lot of speed on that front line. I, and that's why I have England advancing out of that group. I mean, in my opinion, with England, if you were to take an all-star lineup, I 100% think this would be your lineup. I mean, they've got such a deep team, but they also and their young talent is so talented in Raheem Sterling. And probably one of the most talented, in my opinion, is the left back, Luke Shaw. I mean, the kid isn't even 19 yet. He turns 19 in a little less than a month. He'll turn 19 during the course of the World Cup. And he's already bordering on being a world-class left back. Exactly. To Group B we go, featuring the defending champions. They have won 2010. They won the Euro Cup. Spain is in a group with the Netherlands, who were the runners-up in 2010. Chile, who was another South American surprise, and everyone's favorite, Ozzy, Ozzy, Oi, Oi. Spain has a lot ahead of them and many targets on their back, yet they returned 17 players of the 23-man roster, which always 
proves how the Spanish continue to keep everyone healthy and fit in terms of uh, up to a World Cup level. Although they face a Netherlands team that is ready to go headhunting, much, much like what they did in 2010, and a Chile team that's going to use the uh, South American flair to try to advance out of this group. This is another toss-up group, isn't it? Um, this one I don't think is is quite as much of a toss-up, but I could still very much see it being a toss-up. Uh, Chile's defense really concerns me. If you look at Chile's lineup, they have several players for, that are uh, still college students, actually, uh, that still play in Chile at their college. And as defenders, I think that's just going to be a little bit of an issue facing the attackers of, of Spain and the Netherlands. And the rematch of the 2010 final is tomorrow, June 13th. Netherlands takes on Spain. Is it essentially those two teams that are going to make it out of this group? Uh, in my opinion, I think those two are the pretty safe bets. Yet, as with many of the other groups, Chile could be a little bit of a spoiler. And as much as I hate to say it for the Australians, I think they're pretty much written out of this one. Yeah, it's tough. Tim Cahill is a very good player. That's pretty much it. They, they, and they get placed in a very tough group. Their group of death is pretty much this compared to what our group is. Australia's first match is against Chile, and that could be very physical as Chile wants to come out and quickly get three points because their next match would be against Spain, which should be very interesting considering how much the Chileans do not like the Spanish. But can Spain, what do they need to do to sort of run the table and go all the way? Um, as far as what does Spain need to do or what does Chile need to do? Spain. Uh, Spain just needs to play play their game. Uh, in You saw in the uh, Confederations Cup, they let Brazil play their game, and Brazil just took it to them. So they just need to make sure they maintain their game, don't get frustrated like they did against Brazil in the Confederations Cup final. As long as they maintain their uh, classic style of play with a lot of possession, uh, they should be fine through the group. All right, so both of us agree that Spain and the Netherlands will advance out of Group B, which sends us nicely to Group G, the, the, uh, the favorite group in the hearts of many Americans. We have Germany, Portugal, Ghana, and the United States of America squaring off. USA's first game is June 16th against Ghana. Everyone has been hyping this up. Klinsman has stuck, stuck by his gun, saying he does not think the United States will win the World Cup. We'll get to Nick Papadis. What are your thoughts on Clemson's comments? I mean, I honestly think that everyone needs to get off Clemson's case. He's being very realistic. And if you read his actual comments, he didn't say that they weren't – he said that they weren't going to win right now. And I think that's a very realistic comment because four years from now, after the, uh, some of these young players in our team have a little bit more experience, I think we'll be in a lot stronger position. But given the group draw we got, and the just youth of our team, I think he made a very realistic statement, and I don't think people should hassle him as much as they are. It's an interesting, it's an interesting tactic. It's such a very smart tactic because you set your expectations low. Because what, what sounds better? Do you – because the way, the way you see it, what, what's like almost what, what sounds better? Would you say, oh, we're going to go out and win – and then lose every game and make you look like an idiot, then you'll get fired. Or say, you know, we'll take it game by game, 
we're not ready yet. All of a sudden, we get a win at Ghana, take it another game by game, get a result against Portugal, and just like that, we're somehow getting into the uh, the knockout stage. How do you think the USA will fare in this group? Um, this one's a little bit of a tough one. I have the USA finishing third, but I can very realistically see them finishing second. It's very dependent on the health of Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal and how Portugal does. I mean, you saw them against Mexico. They did not look very good. They did end up getting getting a win in that match, but they weren't very impressive. So the U.S., I have them finishing third, but I could see us making it to the knockout stage. There's one thing I don't understand, and it's not really Mo Gardner U.S. soccer rant. Everyone, especially all analysts, especially here in America, they go with this this European bias and thinking one guy can can control an entire team. No doubt about it, Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the best in the world, probably the best if Leon Messi is not in the conversation. But he's just one guy. Portugal is a very decent team. They've also there's also been a lot of change since 2012 when they actually played Germany in the Euro Cup. Portugal, I do not think, is as good as people say they are because, one, they barely beat Mexico, and Mexico stinks. The USA beat them. Pretty much everyone in Central America beat Mexico, and Portugal only beat them 1-0. Cristiano Ronaldo has had those, those constant leg injuries, a knee injury, and his very first game is against Germany, a German side that wants to come out full force and blow the doors off of a fellow European opponent. I, I wrote in my World Cup predictions on bfoot360.com that the USA will advance out of this group because the way Klinsman has this team prepared, every single friendly was prepped for Ghana. They are headhunting Ghana and going to focus on the African side, hell or high water. And by doing that, I think the USA, the only way the USA will advance out of this group is if their defense is rock solid. No questions at the midfield unless Jermaine Jones decides to play, which this is his first World Cup, and he has a lot of motivation considering they'll eventually face a German. All the five German guys will face their home country. So no questions that they'll be prepped for that. It's, it's that. I think that that diamond formation that everyone's talking about has worked. And the best part is these teams have never seen the USA play that kind of diamond formation. And also, Jürgen Klinsmann is one of the best coaches in this group. Apart from his boy, Joachim Lowe, who groomed Klinsmann to be a coach, Ghana has no structure. They just go out and fly by the seat of their pants to play. I've watched them play against South Korea. That's pretty much all they did. And then just threw some elbows and got away with it. And then Portugal just has one player which I'm pretty sure the USA will be smart and play conservative the first few minutes of that game. For USA fans listening, America's first game, June 16th against Ghana, and they'll take on Portugal June 22nd, and the Das Vemans on June 26th. Maybe the USA could get second. If they beat Ghana, that's three points right there out of the bag. And by doing that, a lot of momentum, they'll be on a high, while Portugal could be possibly on a low, if when they face a very physical German team, USA, I would be surprised if they got a, a, a shocking win or at least a draw. Because with a win and a draw, it sets you up so much more easily to take on Germany, knowing that you're constantly the underdog in this group. I, I, could see, I could see Germany and the United States advancing out of this. American fans should not expect us to get killed, but also should not expect us to go through. 
My thing with Portugal, uh, though I don't put it solely in the hands of Ronaldo, they do have a fairly strong defense in Pepe, Bruno Alves, Fabio Contral, and they have a good keeper in Rui Patricio. Um, that's kind of my thing with Portugal. But I think the main thing with Ronaldo is not his playing ability. I think more so it's his uh, dominance on the field, especially as a leader for the team. I yeah, because he single-handedly he single-handedly got Portugal into this World Cup. If it wasn't for him going on a tear in the second half, we could be seeing Ibrahimovic in the World Cup with Sweden. Yeah, and uh, I think Ibrahimovic will be watching very angrily from at home and complaining very much, and probably will come out and make one or two public statements as he usually does. Yes, because we love about time. All right, Nick, see who are you? Uh, who are your picks in this group? Uh, as I said, I'm going to give Germany first place in the group, and I'm giving Portugal second, and I'm going to put a little asterisk by the United States because if the United States can get one point out of Portugal, it could very well go in favor of the United States. Exactly. I think Jurgen Klinsmann has this team prepared. I love the comments he said because as the USA and Alexi Wallace's hair redder than ever before, Everyone is doubting the United States, and that is where we thrive the best. Because lo and behold, on this day, a few on this day, twelve years ago, the United States shocked the world and beat Portugal. So USA always has to get a, a good a result against Ghana. Ghana is very weak when I watch them play. Of course, they are no stretch either. Because I could very easily see. I could very easily see Ghana getting a point from Portugal as well. Just because yes, the they, they played they played good European teams close, only lost to them 1-0 in their World Cup friendlies. It all depends on how Prince Boateng plays for Ghana. So it's a very star-studded group with single athletes, but I would not be surprised if the United States makes it out of this group with Germany. And so now we go to our final group before we pick our winners. Uh, the host nation group, first time since 1950. The Brazilians, FIFA, brings it to, quote-unquote, the home of soccer, which I don't think is true because during some quick searches, soccer was actually invented in Europe, so ESPN looks stupid there. Brazil is facing a group with Mexico, Croatia, and Cameroon. That first matchup is at 3 p.m. Eastern between Brazil and Croatia. They have not won the World Cup since 2002. They have come close, but no cigar. And a lot of the stars that many Americans know of Brazil are not in it and are replaced with single-name names like Neymar and Fred. Brazil is the uh, the team to watch. Nick, what are your thoughts on Group A? Um, as you said, I think Brazil is truly a team to watch. I don't see Mexico performing just for the fact they had a dismal qualification campaign, and they capped that out with some dismal friendlies right before the World Cup. Uh the one nil loss to Portugal being one of those results. I think really the team to watch aside from Brazil is the other team playing today, Croatia. Uh, they've got some several big names that people just don't really bring up that much, and I think they're going to perform very well. Slavani Vujic in his lineup? Oh, no, he's Serbia, right? No, he's Croatia. Yeah, he's Croatia. Yeah, is he playing the World Cup? Uh Croatia has, has uh, their big names are going to be Mario Mandzukic, Luka Modric, uh, Ivan Rakitic, uh, Ivan Perisic. Uh, those are probably the biggest names, but they also do have Dejan Lovren, excuse me. 
Yeah, this, so this Brazil-Croatia game is very interesting because it goes back to my theory of Europeans or South Americans. Is if Brazil were to come out and just blow the doors off Croatia, it makes my theory look a lot easier, thus opening the door for teams like Ecuador and Uruguay and Chile to perform well in their group. But then there's always that slight doubt of what if Croatia were to either draw or actually beat the Brazilians in their opening match. And then you get a lot of European teams sort of hope of, oh, we can play in these conditions if we're just more technically sound than the Brazilians. But is it usually Brazil and Croatia getting out of this group? Uh, I do. I see that as being the two big teams, just because even though Herrera, for the Mexican manager, has been very good since he took charge and has only lost two matches. Those two matches have been uh, Mexico's two matches right before the World Cup, which is a big concern. And just the depth of the Croatian lineup, especially the depth of the Brazilian lineup, I don't see either Cameroon or Mexico giving them too much of a run. Though I do see Cameroon with Samuel Eto. Actually, I have Cameroon finishing third and Mexico finishing last in their group. For the Mexican fans, Fanatic Radio, Mexico's first match is June 13th, and that is against Cameroon. So they have sort of have they almost have a similar structure in the group like what the United States has. They have their so quote unquote weakest team in the group first, and then you face Brazil, and then you face European team in Croatia. Mexico has not looked good. They've had injuries, which no team wants. I don't think they're as prepared as many think. A lot of people, like goofball Lexi Lawless, has them almost as the opposite, saying because they've done so bad, they're going to ride this wave of relief that we're in the World Cup and go out and perform well. But when you go up against Brazil in in that stadium, there's no way that Mexico is going to have a shot. That game is June 17th. The Estadio Castelo and Fortaleza. I hope I got that right. But Mexico, they they just aren't good, and for lack of better terms, plus their jerseys look awful. And seeing what Brazil did to Spain in the Confederations Cup, I just can't imagine what Brazil's going to do to Mexico. Right. So both of us have Brazil and Croatia going through, and so now we will officially close out the show. Well, we will predict, uh, of course, can't since obviously we're, we're smart people here on Fanatic Radio and World Cup Preview. We do not actually predict and have stupid brackets. But, Nick Papadis, what are sort of three keys that you will see and trends throughout the World Cup? Um, as we already talked about a little bit, I think it's going to be a big battle seeing it's in South America for the European teams. I think they're going to struggle a little bit because not only the climate but also just the conditions of the stadium with the intense fans. I think South American fans are probably some of the loudest and most intense in the world. Um, so I see a little bit of trouble for those teams, for the European teams. I just, I don't see the African teams performing as strongly as they could. Um, I think all the African teams are going to play very physically as they always do. And finally, I think the South American teams are going to have a strong showing playing in a climate that they're familiar with and in conditions that they're familiar with. All right, another a couple of keys that I have uh, is how the Europeans will respond to the South African, uh, not South African, South American environment. 
because you have a lot because a lot of the uh, the brackets that I have seen have interesting pairings in the knockout stages of where it's European versus European team and then South American team versus South American team. And if that is the case, uh, key for me is do not be is don't be surprised if a European team once again wins the World Cup because when it gets to the knockout stage. South Americans will gang up on the European squads, but once they get into the knockout stage, when you put a South American team versus South American team, it is instant yellow cards, instant bloodbath, and because of that, they will probably wear themselves down so much and have so much yellow card trouble. The European teams are more athletic and more technically sound than the South American teams, so don't be surprised to see a team like Spain or Germany run the table and win the World Cup. For USA fans, another key for me that I've always been interested to uh, to point out, much like an England or a Netherlands team, is how youth responds. A lot of teams are very young and very inexperienced, and it's almost like how the uh, the unex- inexperienced teams respond. Will they play up to their opponent? Will they play well? Or will they be so timid and let players run on by them? Another key for USA fans, how will the defense respond? That's been the, the one shaky asterisk. And every preview I and every preview and recap I've written of the United States has always been the team played well, but there's always that one wild card of the defense of what lineup Jurgen Clemson will show. If Demarcus Beasley isn't too old, if Jeff Cameron can get things organized, how will Matt Beasley respond in his first World Cup? And all of a sudden we saw Fabian Johnson break out in these World Cup qualifiers. And then on the flip side for the offense of the USA. Uh, we cannot rely just solely on Clinton Dempsey to get results. That's where guys like Chris Wondolowski and Josie Altador have to step up and be a man and make it out of their group. Try to make it out of their group. Because the United States, they can't go out and expecting to win the group. And they can't, but they can't expect to just get just get blown out of the water. Because I think the USA, as much as no credit is given to them, it's not a bad team. They're very well coached. And Jurgen Klinsmann knows what he's doing. And another key for me is don't, if for fans, don't be so high and mighty on the star, quote-unquote stars of the World Cup. If Neymar and Messi and Ronaldo don't perform to the likes of what the Nike commercials and Adidas commercials have been overflowing the airways and Internet, don't be surprised. They're only human. And once again, this is the World Cup, the world's greatest tournament. So it's a very big stage with a lot of... Uh, a lot of there's much room for success. It is also a very huge window for failure. And lastly, before we end the show, Nick Pavidis, who is your World Cup final, and who do you have hoisting Dossier shaft in July? Uh, I think the prize by two teams are going to be Brazil and Germany. And just given the home field advantage, uh, I would like to give to Brazil, but I think Germany is just a little bit more discipline and experience of the team. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Germany as the winners. I would love to see a semifinal. Uh, I think it's, I think if the group works like this, could Argentina face Germany in the semifinals? I have not taken too much of a look at those brackets, but I believe they can. That would be a, that would be a win for the ages. Because I think... I would not be surprised if Brazil gets knocked out earlier than most people think. The Brazilian fans are very loud, but then again, FIFA does have a way of sort of making it very easy for the host nation to do well. And now they actually have a host nation team that, oh, is 
This is this is almost going to be like when Germany hosted it in 2006. I think Germany ran the table and made the semifinals. Ultimately, for Italy and France faced off in the final. Uh, if if the if the FIFA guys and corrupt Seb Blatter makes it so, uh, I'm not going to say Brazil because I think eventually down the road Brazil will face Spain, and that is a match that the Brazilians do not want because if Spain makes it that far. They will probably make the finals. I would, but I would not be surprised if the Germany wins. They're a very good team. They're very strong. They're very well coached, and they are das Übermeister und Penalty und Maschine. And I think Germany will win the World Cup because if they dominate Group G, then they can pretty much dominate anything else. And of course, that is all the time we have for this special edition Fanatic Radio World Cup preview, leading you off to kickoff. As we are just moments away from Brazil versus Croatia, don't forget to check out the podcast on iTunes. Snack Radio actually will be back live 4 p.m. Eastern on Blog Talk Radio and Vflow 360. We will talk U.S. Open. Bob Bradley will join us via MLSsoccer.com to talk about the USA preview against Ghana. For MP Soccer Talks, Nick Paptis, I'm Mike Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next time. <laughs>